the following is a special presentation for Revelations, communicating truth to power. You're surrounded by 80,000 people and every, you know, and it doesn't matter if you don't know the person next to you, you're holding hands if you're down, you're high-fiving each other, buying each other beer if you're up. Like it just, it didn't matter. Comey Media Group proudly presents Revelations with Cole Johnson. Welcome to a special edition of Revelations Going Deeper. I am Cole Johnson and I am so glad you're able to join us. So how was higher learning for you? That is, if you went. Well, for these next four guests, they tell me exactly how it was for them. You learn diversity, you learn perseverance, you learn lessons outside the classroom as much as you do inside of it, and you also have a little fun while you're at it. Up first, Stephanie Callahan, and she talks about her journey at Illinois State and learning the one true priceless gift that she received and it carried from there onto her life now. The gift of diversity. So you mentioned college earlier. You said that uh, you flirted with uh, being a music major. Uh, Mm -hmm. Okay. What major did you settle on and what college did you settle on? I ended up going to Illinois State University. Um, I wanted to go to a state school, uh, largely because of finances. And I wanted to go to a school that was far enough away from my parents that they weren't going to drop by at any given point in time. So uh, my my two toys. Two choices at the time were uh, University of Illinois and Illinois State. University of Illinois was right in the town where mom and dad did all their grocery shopping. So, <laughs> my, so you know, weird reason to pick a college, but that was one of mine. Um, that coupled with the fact that the University of Illinois had a really good business program, still does. And uh, I had two different degrees that I came out with. Uh, one was in HR with a kind of marketing twist to it. And the other was business information systems. So one degree was more right-brained and the other degree was computer programming. Uh, And so, yeah, using both sides of my brain there as well. Mm. The business degree does not surprise me. The human resources one, on the other hand, wow, what made you choose that one? Uh, I'm interested in people. Mm. Now, and that's why I chose it. Now, I, I learned from an HR perspective, there, there were a lot of other <laughs> other elements to that degree. Right. Uh, and, and I was interested in understanding better about management and leadership. Um, and at the time, that's a degree that made sense for that as well. Uh, I, I learned a lot about um, different types of business structures, different ways to interact with people within those business structures. Um, my eyes were opened big time to uh, unions and, and I actually had a pro-union professor that, that taught about HR in relation to unions. So that was a really unique stance uh, that I got uh, from, from taking that particular class. And yeah, it was, it was an interesting combination. Uh, and then I, you know, I had the flip side of uh, sitting in computer labs and writing code. Wow. Mm. Yeah, that, whew, that that's giving that's giving me a headache as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, writing. 
code. Lord. Ugh. I would Ooh. dream in code. I would actually go to sleep with a bug in my software. Couldn't figure out what the problem was. I'd go to sleep. I'd solve it in my sleep. I'd wake up. That was back when we had dial-up call. You know, you, you, you plugged your computer into the phone line and you clicked <laughs> a couple buttons and then you waited a half an hour for your computer to get connected. You know, world is very, very different now. I'm showing some of my age, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, but then I'd log in in the middle of the night and fix the code and Yes, it worked. Go back to sleep. So yeah, um, I would dream. I would dream in the stuff. Oh yeah, the days where we were so enamored with having our computers linked up to our telephone lines. <laughs> right, right. And we were we were so excited to get on after about maybe a minute. And now, <laughs> if it takes a minute for us to get any action on our computer, we're like, hurry up! <laughs> What's wrong with you? You're right, too slow. Right. Oh my gosh, 60 seconds? That's like way too crazy long to wait. Yeah, our our, our patience for stuff has significantly changed over the years. Yeah, it has. <laughs> yeah, it has. Wow, so all of this robust knowledge and skill that you learned, what was the greatest lesson you learned at Illinois State? You know, I would actually say my greatest lesson learned was the value of diversity, and it mm-hmm. wouldn't have come from a classroom. Uh, so I worked, uh, when when I was at the university, I worked for an organization called Night Operations. And that was the department within the university that was responsible for all the security in the residence halls from seven at night until seven in the morning. And so uh, it was a job where I had my first experience ever of being a minority. And because I, I grew up in a really homogenous community, um, pretty much everybody was like me, you know, um, was raised to appreciate people that were different, but didn't really have a whole lot of experience with people that were significantly different than me. And so it was, it was eye opening and it was illuminating all at the same time. And I had a boss who I still call mama and who my son still calls grandma. Uh, you know, we're, we're still connected that she was a fabulous leader of her staff in doing developmental type meetings that were required. A lot of people groaned, oh, another meeting. Right. But but those developmental activities that she did for us were so powerful for me and so eye-opening for me. And then when you work from 7 at night until 7 in the morning, there's these lulls of absolutely nothing going on where you're sitting next to the person you're working with that night and... It's either be bored staring at walls or really have a real conversation. And I am so fortunate that I had a number of people that came from extremely different backgrounds than I did, where we'd sit and talk for hours uh, about different experiences and different perspectives on life. And, you know, up to that point, I was pretty much around people that kind of thought the way I did. You know, there, there wasn't a lot of exposure to people that were racially different from me. There wasn't a lot of exposure to people that had a different religion than me. Um, there wasn't a lot of exposure to difference in general. And so I had the opportunity to get that exposure, uh, very early on in my college career. And I would say that that is, that, that still serves me today. Uh, and I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that experience. Yeah, when you have experiences like that, which open your eyes, literally, <laughs> and opens mm-hmm. your heart and opens your mind, it, it is difficult to forget. It is difficult to put down. And it is it is wonderful when you can look back with more maturity and you can see where you learned a valuable lesson about life and about humans at a certain flashpoint. And you can say, yeah, it has that 
serves me well now. And that's a beautiful thing. Yes, that is a beautiful thing. And, uh, yeah, being diverse in, in life and uh, appreciating people for who they are. That is one of the greatest gifts that anyone could ever receive and could ever give. No, well, question and I think it, it helped me grow my empathy muscle. You know, because when you're around everybody that's like you, you know, day in and day out, you don't necessarily get a whole lot of practice exercising that empathy muscle and exercising uh, uh, your communication and your listening muscle. Um, it also helped me get more solid on things that I did or didn't believe. Um, it, it opened up my eyes to explore more and ask more questions. Um, it opened up my eyes to a myriad of different ways that people think and believe and their backgrounds of how they grew up and what made them who they are. And I use that today in my work. You know, I, I still use that today. Mm, that is beautiful. And speaking of diversity and college, uh, seemingly that is reflected in your present day husband. So how did you true. meet? <laughs> so how, so true. So, right, very true. So how did you meet your husband? We met at school. Um, <laughs> so have him tell it. We met a year before I remember meeting. Um, so we, we tell slightly different stories, um, have different perspectives on when we officially met. Uh, but he and I both agree that we started growing a relationship uh, in between semesters in the summer uh, where we just got to know each other better. And uh, at the time... I was in that, you know, power college girl perspective. I am woman. I don't need a man. You know, watch me roar. I can do this on my own. I'm never getting married. I'm never having kids. I'm going to become this career person and I'm going to go. And the way that I knew I really loved him was that a lot of that disappeared. You know, I still wanted to be successful in business, um, but I saw myself having kids very clearly with him. And, uh, you know, we've been together now since 1992 and, uh, so, so glad that, uh, I gave him a chance because, you know, I was in this you know, kind of full of myself mode with the, I don't need a relationship. Yeah. And, uh, I gave him a chance and I'm, I'm glad that I did. You can catch Stephanie on stephaniecallahan.com. Wonderful, brilliant marketing mind and just turns business on its ear. She's a wonderful, wonderful resource to have in anybody's life. And for more of the entire interview that we conducted, you can go to episode 14 in the Revelations canon found at Pippa. That's P-I-P-P-A dot I-O. Wonderful conversation I had with her. From one brilliant mind to another, this next guest simply has her head in the stars. And when I mean head in the stars, I literally mean head in the stars. Listens to how focused she was on where she wanted to be as an astronaut and how college played a huge role in that decision. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you Layla Alie. What made you want to go to this university in West Lafayette, Indiana? Well, um, that's a very good question. I looked at Purdue and I fell in love with the opportunities over there. They had orchestra that wasn't a major, that was not a major, so that was less pressure, but it's for fun. I learned about the 
culture and the, you know, learning about Purdue itself. And it was very intimidating when I went to go visit. I was a junior. I went to go visit Purdue before I got accepted. And I even visited Texas A&M and UT. And I thought for a while that I wanted that I, I am definitely Texas A&M. So I applied to 11 schools. Uh, by the time of my junior, senior year, I was done with all my applications done with all my applications before Thanksgiving. I made it a goal to enjoy my Thanksgiving and enjoy my senior year with my family, especially in Christmas timeframe. I applied and I waited. And to my surprise, I got rejected from Texas A&M and University of Texas. So I thought, oh my gosh, if I got rejected from Texas A&M and UT, that means I got rejected from Purdue too. And the next week I was on my rollerblades, never forget, I was rollerblading and I got the mail and I saw this huge packet and on the packet it says, congratulations on it. I'm like, okay, congratulations for applying. Let's just say. And I apl- opened it and I almost like, as I was rollerblading, I opened it me, and I almost fell down to the floor because it says, congratulations, you've been accepted to Purdue university. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then I like, you know, I hurt myself and I rolled back home. I was like, mommy, mommy. And I was in the house and I was rollerblading in the house, which my mom says never do. I was like, mommy, mommy, guess what? I got accepted to Purdue. It's like, what? You got accepted. You got rejected from the other schools. I was like, yeah, but I got accepted to Purdue. And so I was so excited. Did a couple twists and turns that I've never done that before in my life. And I just... You know, after I got all my letters, I even told my friends like, hey, check out my rejection letter from here, but check out my acceptance letter from Purdue. They're like, what? So, and it all comes down to really doing as much as you can and having a very holistic approach towards your application. Like definitely as a, if you're a high school student, listen to this, don't focus so much on just one thing, focus on trying to be good at everything and really own it. For me, it was the extracurriculars that I did at NASA, the, the uh, competitions that I was involved in, the the amount of orchestra I was like the the arts I was involved in. Yet I had very good grades. I was first, I was top order in my class. But my biggest weakness is taking tests. All right. Well, what do you like about Purdue when you actually got there? So when I was at Purdue, I, I gained a lot of things. I gained at the end of it all. What I got out of it was. Confidence, pure confidence and proof to myself that I'm capable of doing anything as long as I put my mind to it. I am unbreakable and anyone's unbreakable if they believe that they're, they can do it. And that there were a lot of moments at Purdue where I really uh, was literally on my knees, just praying so hard and crying so hard because of so many different people who are higher above me at, in terms of professors and administrative people telling me that you don't have what it takes. You don't fit this mold. Um, you know, welcome to Purdue. Get ready for it. This is not acceptable. What I gained out of this as well as I gained what it's like to experience failure and then how to see triumph at the end of trying so hard. It's like the, the engine that could. You know, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Then you get to the hill and I knew I could, I knew I could, I know. <laughs> and guess what? It is a Boilermaker school. I love trains. So, <laughs> and I, my, I, I mean, that was another perk, but I didn't care about it. I was like, I didn't realize, oh yeah, I love choo-choo trains because I would go to Colorado and we would see choo-choo trains. <laughs> and so I gained confidence. I gained ambition. 
And I learned that failure is not an option. And I saw myself being able to be another addition to the footsteps of the people that entered and left that school and are making, doing great things on this, in this world. And I also got my husband. I met my husband there. Did not plan that part at all. And um, he was an electrical engineering student. I was a civil engineering student. And I met him uh, while I was taking thermodynamics, which was a class, the only mechanical engineering class I ever took. And that was another thing I gained from it. It's like, hey, I can also do mechanical engineering too. I ended up getting an A in that class. Mm. Overall, you know, I just found things about myself that I thought I could not do, but I realized, hey, I actually can do this. And I actually can be a civil engineer and still work at NASA. And that was one thing I fought with a lot of people at Purdue. And even my, even people that didn't believe me, they'd say like, oh, you know, you're not going to make it because no one at no one does civil engineering and work, works at NASA. And then I pulled out my big pack and I said, well, you know what? This one astronaut got a degree in civil engineering. And so therefore it's possible. Mm. And the internships that I had along the way, the opportunities that came up through Purdue, the study abroad program, the internship program, the co-op program. I think I did like eight internships and in our rotations throughout my time at Purdue. So mm-hmm. And you um, and you segued me perfectly into my next question. Oh, is it? <laughs> so, how was it when you actually got to work, not necessarily for the Johnson Space Center, for, but for the Kennedy Space Center in Florida? I have experienced a lot of no's, and anyone who says, "Oh, I just applied and I got in," that they were very lucky. So, whoever is hearing this, thinking that, "Oh my gosh, I don't have what it takes," trust me, if I can do it, you can do it. First semester at Purdue, I failed all my classes except French. And then the next year I had to make up for it and repeat all my classes and do whatever I could. My, my GPA was below a 2.0. And, but, and I also had a lot of disappointing conversations with my parents because they started to be worried about that their opinion of me not making it would be possibly true. So with this situation, I saw this opportunity of problem solving and my way of comfort Honestly, it's really weird, but whenever I'm experiencing this feeling of down, I actually go and watch Apollo 13 again, like the VHS version. And I would watch Apollo 13 and think of, okay, you know, square, you know, round pig, fin the square hole. What do I do? How do I make this fit? And so here I am. I'm a civil, I want to be a civil engineering student and I'm not even accepted into the civil engineering program. I'm, I'm still in the undecided department and I said, okay, well, I remember when I did one year um, at the University of Houston because I transferred after the first year uh, at University of Houston. I made this deal with my parents that if I were to go to Purdue, I would do one year at the University of Houston and take as many basics as I could that Purdue would allow, along with taking classes at Houston Community College. And I remember that there were recruiters there for Disney World, for the Disney World College program. And I remember that um, that they're also coming to Purdue. So what, by year two, I was a freshman still at Purdue, and I think it was a 1.43 GPA, and I said, okay, all these aerospace companies are really telling me that I don't have what it takes. I'm going to see if there's another internship that I can get accepted into so I can build my resume. Because at that point, you can't rely on your high school resume anymore. You need to start building a new resume within college. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to apply to Disney World. And I liked, I love Disney. 
And I will never forget that I did a trip once in high school and I said, oh, I love Disney. I, I know that one day I'll come back. It will be by myself. And I knew that feeling four years prior. So I said, you know what? Let me apply to Disney for the internship. I mean, that's a great name, just like NASA on the resume. And I applied and I had a killer interview. And that was my strength is I love, I do really well talking to people and especially interviews. I'm really good in interviews. And so uh, we, a week later, I got a pack and I, I got accepted to the Disney World College program. So I knew that, okay, I got to build this resume, got to build the GPA so that when I come back to NASA, I have something to show them versus having nothing to show. So by the second year, third year at Purdue, I still didn't get accepted to the NASA internship programs or the co-op programs. And I remember seeing, knowing that in high school, I learned about so many different NASA uh, programs, so many different NASA programs. And I remember there was a program called Sally Ride Science that Sally Ride started to really help boost STEM education for kids within middle school and elementary school. And they... They had this program called ISS EarthCam, which was geared towards students being able to take photographs from the International Space Station. And that was something that Sally Ride Science, Sally Ride herself and the program advocated for really helping support middle school students to really like space and take photographs just by photographs. So I applied to that program, but then I learned that, hey, you have to create your own internships. And that's when I realized that this internship or these this opportunity or this program was only for students who went to the University of California, San Diego specifically. And I reached out to them and I said, um, you know, hi, my name is Layla and I'm a Purdue University student. I really have this interest. Kind of explained my story. And I asked him, like, do you take interns from other universities? And my reply, my I, I was I was so used to hearing so many no's that the worst case scenario you would hear was a yes. I'm like, okay, I know, sure, no, yes, no, wait, yes. And she says, you know what? That's a very, very good idea. We would love to partner with students from other universities. So yes, let's have it. Let's have a talk and let's see if we're a good fit. And I had the interview. I was expecting to hear a no. And the next day they said, we would love for you to be an intern for us at NASA's ISS EarthCam program for Sally Ride Science. You can check out the wedding fitness astronaut at LeilaAlier.com. How you cannot be inspired to be determined, I have no clue. It's She's a very determined person and it just seeps within you when you hear her. Life lessons simply shape who we are when we get to college and when we go through college. And as you hear with my next guest, Autumn Woodland, those lessons sometimes can jar you, other times make you laugh, but all in all, it shapes who you are afterwards. So enjoy this trip down memory lane with Autumn Woodland, podcast host of We Got the Jazz. Initially, I decided to go because I don't know if they still have it, but back when I was in high school, there was an annual black college tour and a lot of Pittsburgh area students hop on multiple chartered buses and visited HBCUs up and down the East Coast. And FAMU was one of the schools I saw. And I don't don't know what it was. I think it just might have been a day where everyone was out and about on the set, handing out flyers, you know, people, we were like, you know, 11th and 12th 
graders on campus that people were inviting us to parties and stuff. And I don't know, just that being there on that campus, I think everyone who was on the tour was like, oh my gosh, I want to go to school here. This is it. This is where I'm going. <laughs> and I was thinking the same thing. And I remember a lot of the kids were like, eh, I mean, I want to come here, but it's too far. My mom's never going to let me come to Florida. And I was like, my mom will. Because that was the deal. The deal was when you, when it's time to go to college, you can go wherever you want to go because this is your first adult decision. And I don't want you coming back to me later in life saying, well, if you had let me do blah, 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 blah. So I knew that I was pretty much allowed to go wherever I wanted. We all came to the conclusion that FAMU was actually a really good decision. So went there with like rose colored glasses, like think it's going to be, you know, I used to watch like everyone used to watch a different world. So I thought that that's what my college experience was going to be like. <laughs> And it very well could have been like that, but it's different, like, watching a TV show as opposed to being in it. So my first year at FAM was so hard. <laughs> like, it was a major challenge. Um, because you mentioned earlier, like, you you were exposed at a young age to all different types of Black people. Mm -hmm. All of the, the good, the bad, the in-between, all of that. I wasn't exposed to that. In my mind, I had this idea that, you know, I was just going to go to this prestigious university. <laughs> it would all just be like focused scholars, have some fun here and there. Like, I don't know what I thought my college experience was going to be like. But I got there and like everyone was, I mean, it was just like the world. Like any black person that you might come across in the world, like that's what I was exposed to when I first got the college. So it was a major adjustment going from a very small school. I think there were 120 people in my high school graduating class. I was one of mm. three black girls. Um, mm. There may have been like two or three guys, at the, just very little. So to go from that, being in this little small world, to going to Tallahassee, which is a small town, but still a big mm. college town with a lot going on. I was I was overwhelmed. Um, I was very overwhelmed, and I was ready to leave. I was like, I <laughs> I'm not staying here. I can't handle this. But my mom was like, No, I paid for your tuition, so you gonna stay at least a year. <laughs> you wanted to go, <laughs> that's what you're gonna stay. But that first, after that first year, I mean, I made some incredible friends, people that I'm friends with to this day, and eventually I adjusted. Um, I'm glad I did it. I wouldn't have it any other way. If I had to make the decision again, I would do it all over again because it really did. I could almost feel myself becoming an adult and becoming more mature with my experiences in Tallahassee, not just because, you know, going to an HBCU, but also just regular, you know, coming of age type stuff that I was dealing with. Since you went to an HBCU and I'm familiar with Florida A&M, didn't attend, but know a few who have attended and know of a person who is attending that school now. Did you have an experience similar to that of school days? No, the no, yeah. <laughs> um, not really. Yeah. I, I think about anything that like either school days or a different world. I think those are the only things I can think about growing up that I saw on screen that related to the black college experience. But um, I don't know. It's almost like I'd have to rewatch school days and look at different mm -hmm. scenes because I'm sure there are certain scenes I could watch and be like, oh, yeah, okay. I remember that something similar happened to me when I was in school. But overall, no, I wouldn't say that. There wasn't like a kind of thing. Well, no, I can, I can honestly say the only thing that I can think of right now that is similar to 
school days was going to FAMU and being at school in the South. Um, I definitely noticed that women with lighter skin were coveted <laughs> way more than anyone else. And that was an interesting experience for me because it's not something I noticed growing up in Pittsburgh. And it might might have been that way in Pittsburgh, but I was so young. Like, I might have not even been paying attention to it. But I remember being a teenager and I think noticing with guys, like, a girl you think is pretty is just a girl you think is pretty. But going to FAMU, that was different. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, you could definitely see a preference for um, women who were on the uh, the fairer fair end of the color spectrum. Yeah, and the brown paper bag test, uh, my mind just gets blown each and every time I think about that and hear that dynamic still play out as recent as now. Thinking, wow, mm-hmm. really? You know, we still are still comparing color hue to one one to another and say, okay, well, because you're lighter or darker, that would that would make me want to want to be with you or want to do business with you or just want to entertain you as a person or a friend. You know, I I always find that dynamic mind blowing because I'm thinking, okay, so you you don't want to climb into the person. You want to be empathetic and dive into the skin, dive beyond the skin. You just want to stop at the skin and and just be done there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've I've always found that to be head scratching, and I will always find it to be head scratching. Yeah, yeah. The same with me, and I, I guess maybe it's just it always has to do with like I think a lot of times we don't choose how we look at the world; it's kind of chosen for us. So if you grow up in a family, if you grow up around people who think that way. You may think that that's just normal and that's natural. Like, I didn't grow up like that. Like, my mother has dark skin. Mm-hmm. My father is lighter. Um, there are people of all colors in my family. Like, most of us are darker. But, you know, there's people who are brown skin. There are people who are biracial. Um, you know, people who are white through marriage. So, I don't know. I just grew up, like, color was just never a thing. And mm-hmm. color just wasn't a thing for me growing up. So, I, it wasn't something I, I really understood. That's why I was very confused. Initially, I think my first or second week at school, my one of my roommates was older. She was a junior. I was a freshman. And well, that was my first week of school. Of course, I was a freshman. <laughs> she was a junior. And there was a guy, I guess, one of her friends she was studying with, and he came over. And I, I remember being really annoyed because I was still trying to figure things out. And I was annoyed with myself because I didn't say anything at the time. Because I remember she came and she knocked on my door and I was like, what? And she's like, oh, you know, my friend so-and-so wants to meet my roommate. So I'm like, okay. And I come out and it was really like a thing. Like he just, it was like he was an older guy and wanted to evaluate the level of attractiveness of like the freshmen that were living in this home. Cause she was the only junior. The rest of us were um, in our first year. So, I mean, I remember this guy looking at all of us and looked at me and was like, oh, yeah, you know, what? you're pretty cute for a dark skin girl. <laughs> um, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I don't remember what I said, but it was pretty harsh directed at him. Something like, okay, well, you kind of look human for a wolf or like something like that. Like, I, I don't know. I was like 18. Oh. You know, what I said. <laughs> but, but it's like, I'm minding my business and my room going to call me out to look me up and down and tell me that I look kind of cute for a dark skin girl. Like, okay, whatever. So I think that's how the whole conversation ended because everybody laughed. <laughs> and I went back and I'm minding my business. You graduated from Florida A&M and you mentioned New York. How did New York come into play? Because I believe that along with your Juris Doctorate, 
came into play at the same time. Am I not correct? That's correct. Yes. Okay. So I went to law school in New York. I think around my junior or senior year of college, uh, I decided that I wanted to go to law school. In my mind, I thought it was just, like being a lawyer was a perfect career for me because like, once I realized that most lawyers don't go to court, they're not arguing in front of a judge, most work is very transactional, um, and there's a lot of research and reading and writing involved. I'm like, that's perfect for me because that's what I'm good at. And I have this inherent desire to want to help people and to make things better. So I'm like, what better way to use the gifts that I have to help others? So uh went to New York for law school, graduated from Hofstra, and then I lived there a couple of years after graduating. Um, I've never practiced law because while I was in law while I was in law school I realized, you know what, I probably not <laughs> I'm probably meant to use this law degree but not to practice in a traditional way. So mm-hmm. um yeah that's why I don't I never cause I the 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 Esquire I believe is designated for people who are actually admitted in a state to practice law and I'm not Right, I haven't right. passed the bar or anything like that. So it's like the JD, yeah, that's me. Esquire, I'm like, eh, I don't, I haven't earned that. But <laughs> yeah, went to law school in New York and stayed there for a couple of years afterwards. I moved a lot because after, you know, I just, I graduated during a time where it was very difficult to find work. The economy hadn't gotten bad for the entire country just yet, but it was mm-hmm. getting tough for lawyers just because the market was flooded with, uh, law school graduates and there just weren't enough jobs uh, for people who had law degrees. So I struggled with finding work and I found work and, you know, did different contracts and temporary assignments, but ended up moving home to Pittsburgh. So that was the first time I'd lived in Pittsburgh as an adult. Like I'd been away from home for almost 10 years and I had to go back and work there for a few years was like dying to get back to New York. So I moved back and I was in New York for about a year and realized, uh, this, you know, your, your price probably not meant to be here and moved back to Pittsburgh. And after living in Pittsburgh the second round, <laughs> I, um, I knew I wasn't going to stay there. So I was just using that time mm-hmm. to figure out where my next move was going to be and try to figure out where I was going to stay long term. And it ended up being Baltimore. You can check out Autumn on gotthejazz.com. The podcast is absolutely brilliant. Uh, If you want to laugh, think, and be proud of who you are, I recommend you listen to that one. Wonderful show and a wonderful woman. We talked with co-host of Chopping It Up With Q, VJ Burton, and the conversation went to college and the beauty of enjoying that life and the energy that surrounds it. Uh, we talked about her time on University of Texas when they won their last natural championship and all other assortments amount of fun that happens on college campuses. I hope you enjoyed this never before heard audio because it's a wonderful reminder of what college truly is about. So ladies and gentlemen, this is VJ Burton. And um, I always tell people growing up, um, like not, I mean, just kind of in general, but um, people that know me know that I'm a huge Peyton Manning fan. Um, And uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. oddly enough, yes, I know. Fun fact, I uh, was a huge Peyton Manning fan. And um, 
fell in love when he uh, was playing at Tennessee. And I swore to people that I, I was going to go to Tennessee. Like, that was going to be my school. That was it. <laughs> that was the end of it. That was where I was going to go. And as I got older, I think I just kind of, the Texas roots, right? You, I, um, I remember going in middle school to um, a Texas football game. And I fell in love <laughs> with the school more so than I think I was in love with Peyton Manning. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go here. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm going to go here. And um, I think I realized that at 13, and I never wavered from that. Like, I, my mom's like, do you want to apply to other schools? Do you want to, you know, apply to safety schools, this, that, and the third? So, I mean, I applied to other schools, but I, I think I always knew for me, Texas was a good fit. And that's where I was going to go. Wow. So even before high school, you knew you were going to go to University of Texas. Wow. That is impressive. Wow. <laughs> and I, I was thinking you were going to go with the angle of, well, you had you had Peyton Manning who went to Tennessee. You know, they wear bright orange. And I figured, eh, maybe not there. I'll go to a school that had burnt orange. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, No, I just, yeah, I, I fell in love. I visited the campus, you know, like I said, went to like be a Longhorn Day a few different times. And um, yeah, I just, I kind of knew that it, it was a good fit for me and that I wanted to be there. Like I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to be a part of that tradition at a, a school that had great programs and, and great people. And I think for me, the place was also a big draw because I think, you know, living in Texas, like it's, you know, it's a red state. And so you come from these small towns and as much as we'd like to believe that we live in these times where people celebrate diversity and everyone is nice, like the, the reality of it is, is in East Texas, you still live, like, there are people who still live places where, you you know, could, could technically consider them like sundown towns. You know what I mean? Like it, it, I mean, it happens. There are places where there are no black people living there. <laughs> Yeah. There are no people of color living there. And so it, it, it's, it's, it's a stark contrast to a lot of what the rest of the country may see. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, when you look at schools and demographics in some of the bigger schools in Texas, like a lot of people, it's either, you know, University of Texas or it's Texas A&M. And for me in this area, a lot of people go to Texas A&M. Mm -hmm. Right. And I visited there as well because my mom was like, I just want you to go visit other places. And it did not feel like a good fit. Nothing about that felt like me. Nothing about it felt like I would be at home there in College Station. And I think maybe that's changed in some ways. But I think for me, I always felt like Austin was very much my personality and, and very much a place where I would be at home. Okay, so you mentioned the city where University of Texas resides. So what is your impression <laughs> of Austin? Well, I mean, that's the saying, right? Keep Austin weird. And it is a weird place. It's, it, it's a strange mix of things. You know, it's that, that Democratic spot in a Republican state. Mm -hmm. And, but it's, it's, it's that mix of things. I tell people it's a big city, but it does have a lot of those small town elements, right? Like it, it doesn't feel as big as it is. And there are things to do and things to see, but it still feels smaller. And I think that's kind of what you get with a lot of college towns, though. It doesn't quite feel as big as it is. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I, I just felt like it was a good fit for me. I felt like I grew a lot of lot as a person in those years. I graduated. I skipped a grade when we moved back to the state when my parents got out of the Army. So I graduated high school at 17. And so... I feel like I tell people, like, the years I spent in Austin, I, I feel like that really shaped who I am as a person. Like, I feel like that's kind of when I did most of my growing up. <laughs> I could see that. Uh, and you're not the first person that, is, that has said that uh, the college years were where 
you seem to actually knew what type of man slash woman in your case woman you were going to be and I, I sort of side note I sort of kid about LeBron James going to Miami for for four years I said well that this is his college <laughs> this is college time <laughs> you know what and that actually kind of makes sense right I think that he was a hometown hero right and then he mm-hmm. gets drafted he's he's in Cleveland and mm-hmm. it and it's and you can you can akin it very much to a kid that grows up in a small town and then goes to like community college. You never get to leave home. You, you're you know you, your parents are still doing your laundry. You're still living at home. You're still seeing the same people every day, and you're not really having any new experiences. And I mean, granted, it's not exactly the same thing, but no. it's it, it's yeah, it's, it's very similar in that way. Like he he was a kid, like he was a kid out of high school that had never been in, never been you know anywhere really. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you become an NBA superstar and you're still in the same place. Like, you still haven't really branched out and done anything different from what you've been doing for God knows how long. But you're not even doing it in a different place. <laughs> right. right. Definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 I agree with you. I've never really thought of it that way, but that's exactly what it is. He, he spent four years in Miami and he was like, this is great. I, I've graduated. I think I have did what I came here to do. And, you know, got mm-hmm. my growing pains out of the way and go home now. Right. <laughs> it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Great four years, time to go home. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Some wild guys, thanks. Yeah. (laughs) See you later. No hard feelings. Right. (laughs) Yeah, the the four, not the the not four, the not five, the not six. Yeah, I really, really didn't mean that. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you you did. (laughs) All right, so, so you're a football fan and you went to University of Texas. Walk me through to how the campus was when UT won their national championship in 2005. It was insane. That year was crazy. Um, yeah, like I, you know, we were off, we were coming off a, you know, a, a bowl win and it was just insanity. Like it, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where people just, we expected expected to do well right we just wanted to come back and and for it to be that same feeling again and so it was going to every single game it was this mad dash for tickets it was you know tailgating and being up at 6 a.m and just (laughs) craziness right they're you know they're building the you know at that point they had it started expanding um Daryl Carey Royal Stadium yet so then you know you have people you know outside tailgating that can't get in you know parking lot is as full of people even after the game started because they just want to be in you know in the vicinity right they're watching it from like (laughs) the jumbotron and people in nosebleed seats all the way to the very very top of the bleachers just everything packed because you know you want to be a part of that and Mm -hmm. and it's just it was an insane year like it, it just was crazy I, I mean there's just no other way to describe it like I distinctly remember like being able to go to like the university bookstore co-op and people buying t-shirts and I think the most popular t-shirt they sold was like one that had like the I love I love New York with like the red heart or whatever but instead right. of NY it was DY for Vince Young like right. that shirt was the top seller everyone had mm. <laughs> like, uh, I think yeah. everyone had that shirt Everyone had, you know, Mac Brown menu was at its highest. Everyone had the, you know, come early, stay late, be loud, wear orange T-shirt. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you had to. Longhorn decals, like the whole nine. I actually was in a a spirit organization called Longhorn Honey, 
which is a sister group to the Longhorn Raises, which I think the easiest way to describe is if you've ever watched a Texas game on TV, the nice guys with their shirts off, painted with Texas painted across their bodies. That would be the te- that would be the Raisers. So we would be their their sister group. Oh. I promise. I kept my I kept my shirt on. I promise. I was not. <laughs> you were not <laughs> being not, exhibitionist there. Okay. <laughs> no, it was not shirtless at the games, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I, it it I, it just struck me as wow because. Uh, Look, I considered the Rose Bowl Vince Young's home away from home. Just with the the back to back stellar performances, of course, against Michigan in two thousand four Rose Bowl and then of course the national championship right. the, the January of the next year. I was a good sti- birthday present. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I'm sure you had two good birthday presents in back to back years. But I of did. course the one two thousand five, much better than the one two thousand four. But <laughs> you know, but I I, I yeah. uh, I was thinking about how it must have been in Austin. I, I, I was like, it may, it had to have been a madhouse. And, and only- people dancing in the streets, people dancing mm-hmm. in the fountain, people <laughs> kissing strangers in the streets. <laughs> oh my. And yes, I, I heard a show where that has you who talked about a story, which is really, really about that. But uh, <laughs> I, I only thought about it around the national championship night. I never thought about it the season leading up to it because I was like, I mean, it had to have been absolutely crazy. And now that I'm talking to an alumni of University of Texas, I was like, okay, well, how was it the whole time <laughs> leading up to it? Because it, it just had to have been crazy. It had to be crazy. But I will say this, that I think for a lot of people coming off of that, first Rose Bowl win against Michigan, I think that they expected a lot. And I think that with any athletes or any winning team, when you're talking about the pressure, like the pressure to win had to be immense, right? Like, I, yeah. I think that a lot of people don't look at that. Like, they, the pressure on them to, to repeat that performance, to get back to, you know, a Rose, you know, to get back to a bowl game to, you know, I mean, to do better than they did. It's like, no, we don't, you know, bowl games aren't good enough. Like, it needs to be the bowl game, right? Right. <laughs> and exactly. so I think that, yeah, and I think that a lot of people, even watching games and people being fans, like, it's always, you know, this, this critiquing of the small things when you're watching games, even for winning. Well, he didn't look good today, or they didn't look good. The defense looked kind of slow. They looked sluggish. I mean, and then it, it, it's always those very nitpicky things and those conversations that you hear in those seasons. And it, it, and you look at it in high and it's like, God, why, why were we so mm-hmm. <laughs> neurotic about those things? But it, it, I think that's just kind of part of, of, of that winning mindset. You get to a point where you're used to winning. And that feeling, you're just like, this needs to happen all the time. So then you're just like, <laughs> you're chasing that high. And I think we, I want to mm-hmm. say we lost to Kansas State that year. And I can remember being at that game and God, everyone was like, oh, this is terrible. We're never going to get back to the national champion. Like it was just insane. People were really upset. But I will say that back in those days, I think that <laughs> for whatever reason, day games were not our thing. It was not working. Anytime we had a two o'clock game, we just knew we were in for some <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, some some bull butter, but <laughs> oh gosh! Uh, so you all were praying for night games. Got you. Okay, well, that was so yeah. funny. Oh uh, yeah, it, just just from the standpoint of a fan, of course, I was in Houston at the time. Just watching those games and 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 seeing how all that unfolded, I, I my jaw was to the floor, and I looked forward to seeing a Texas game for sure. Then because I just it was the it was the Okay, so what is Vince Young going to do now next? And, you know, he, he would pull these ridiculous performances out of the hat, you know, like, 
like being down, if I'm not mistaken, either 28 to 7 or 35 to 7 to Oklahoma State and Stillwater. And then all of a sudden, these mad rush of touchdowns. And then you yeah. look up and it's 49 35. I'm like, how in the world? <laughs> so I was looking forward to those games when I was watching them, you know. So it, it was interesting for me just to, as a fan to watch it. So it's interesting. It's more interesting to me now to hear you who actually were on the campus at the time relay that back because I, I'm loving that. I'm loving that energy. <laughs> yeah, and I think that was it. It was just good energy. As I said, I think Texas football is a community. And I think when you come from a small place like I was and you, you get somewhere like that, it still feels like a community. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was the coolest part. Like it still felt that way. Like you're still you're surrounded by eighty thousand people, and every you know, and it doesn't matter if you don't know the person next to you. You're holding hands if you're down. You're high fiving each other, buying each other beer if you're up. Like it just it didn't matter. Like <laughs> didn't yeah. matter if I you know never saw you again. It didn't matter if I had you know stepped on your shoes on campus the other day and you called me everything but a child of God. If we were sitting next to at the football game, we were family. And you couldn't tell me anything. We, we were fine. <laughs> we're friends now, dang it. <laughs> oh, my. We're here, we're here for a higher purpose. Forget <laughs> <Just> those shoes. <laughs> oh, Lord. No, no do the right thing. Fights coming off of being stepped, uh, having shoes being stepped on. That's a good thing. <laughs> yes, everyone's, everyone, well, boots, you know, boots. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Boots on game, You're right. Boots on game day. <laughs> You're right. I'm so sorry. This is Texas boots. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my. Okay. So this is a question I have to wrestle with because I always wanted to know, because when I was growing up, I always thought, I always thought Texas biggest rival was A&M. Then all of a sudden it seemed at least to when it came to the national media, it seemed to switch to Oklahoma all of a sudden. So I will ask you, and I, I've, I've asked you this question off air, but I'll ask it on air to you, which is the greater rival A&M or Oklahoma? Well, I. <laughs> That is a tough question. Um, I will say though, hey, I, for me, I will say hands down A and M because, and I say that because you don't drive around the streets of these towns and see a house divided sign and half of that house is OU, half of that house is A and M, the other half is UT. So regardless of what it looks like nationally, <laughs> in in your heart of hearts, it, it looks very very different. Um, at a, I guess at a micro level, at, at a macro level, than I think when you're looking in terms of what teams were accomplishing and what win losses looked like, then absolutely the Red River Shootout was was the biggest ticket in Texas at, at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Going to Dallas, going to the State Fair, watching us play, especially when you're uh, when um, when um, oh goodness, when when Vince Young was playing. Um, yeah, like that. That was the thing to see, and then. Um, with OU, it was just they were. I mean, they were a powerhouse at that point. So, I mean, it was it was the thing to see. It was the the matchup of the year when you're talking in terms of, of the Big Twelve. So, yeah, I think. But now, I think that looks very different. And not to say that OU was not, you know, <laughs> not playing as well, or they that they, you know, ever have been. I think that it's just one of those things where as time went on, A and M kind of got to where they weren't as good. Um, OU got to a point where they weren't as good. We got to points where we weren't as good. So, I think it kind of reverted back to it being kind of like the, the old school thought about rivalries, right? Like, I don't right. think it, I think it just became very different. But yeah, I would, I would definitely say that it's A&M. I think that that's <laughs> very much the case. Like, OU is a, has an amazing football program and, and, and had for a very long time. Um, <laughs> looking back on those games, but yeah, like that, that was definitely the, the draw. Like that, in terms of like national stage, absolutely. But if you're from Texas and you, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that rivalry is never going to die. Like, <laughs> no, it, it's not. I I don't think I, I don't think the A and M Texas rivalry is going to die either. Oh, and and for the politically correct, uh, yes, the Texas OU game is now the Red River rivalry. Rivalry, yes. <sighs> but Crazy. back when I was going, it would, and people were watching, it was Red <laughs> yeah, River was shootout. <laughs> So forgive me for calling it what it used to be called. And if you're mad about it, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. I'm like, you can debate why? me. You can you can at me and debate me about it. It's BJ underscore Burton. Please, I'm not, I'm I'm there all day, every day. We can go because you're not going to change my mind. In my mind, is the Red River Shootout, and that's what's going to continue to be. So oh rivalry all you want to. So let's face it. <laughs> let's face it. That is not really what it used to be. So call it what you want to. Oh, yeah. Uh, let, let me be. Let me be the soldier. Because whatever you call me now, I'm not trying to see it anyway. So don't worry about me. Like I'm fine. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I just yeah. I I I found it when they changed it to be ridiculous. I'm like it should continue to be the river for shootout. I mean, fine. I but, I don't know why they changed it to rivalry. Does it? I mean, I are know. they afraid of people shooting each other? So, like I don't. What, what is yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Cr- crazy. 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 Newsflash: They shoot each other anyway. Right. Right, right. Protect, so everybody's got a gun. Are you surprised? Like what? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I find it hilarious, really. So I appreciate the rant. Believe me, I appreciate that. Wow, it's so wonderful to hear the joy of college life to trace back to when you had the youthful exuberance of a child, but you were living life on your own terms. It felt free and the experiences will will last forever and it will be in your heart and your soul. And that's the beauty of school. At least that's the beauty of college. You get to learn about yourself in ways that you never imagined and you get to take home some invaluable, priceless material, both in a classroom and in the classroom of life. The word says, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. The beauty about college is that it teaches you not necessarily what others know, but it teaches you more what you can learn. And it teaches you also to strive for more, reach out for greater, to not settle, to know that the higher part of yourself wants more, desires more, hungers for more, and thrives for more. And that's what these four ladies taught me when they talked about their college days. And that's what I learned in going through college myself. It's one of the most beautiful journeys that anyone could ever undergo. Many thanks to Stephanie, Layla, Autumn and VJ for their experiences in college and for the interviews that they all gave to me. I enjoyed every single one of these conversations and the four women poured into me some valuable information that I will take with me just like I did with the stuff I learned in college. For changing the world one conversation at a time, I'm Cole Johnson and this has been a special edition of Revelations. For more of Revelations, go to Pippa, spelled P-I-P-P-A dot I-O. 